the Arena District may look to that evil casino to save it. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, William Hershey, Statehouse reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Julie Carr Smythe, Statehouse correspondent for the Associated Press. Dale Butland, Democratic strategist. And Michael Miller, former Franklin County prosecutor. John Kasich made a rare campaign appearance this week. The Republican candidate for governor held a full-fledged event in Dayton alongside former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. Kasich said Ted Strickland and the Democrats don't have a clue when it comes to creating jobs. Kasich vowed to revive manufacturing in Ohio. Strickland's camp hit back, saying Kasich and Gingrich supported policies that outsourced Ohio jobs and helped Wall Street. Bill Hershey, you were there. Did John Kasich offer any specifics as to how he's going to revive manufacturing? I don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, John Kasich did promise to have uh, some ideas on job retraining by the end of August, but basically he said uh, Democrats didn't know what they were doing. Governor Strickland doesn't know what he's doing. And it was interesting, some of the ideas that Newt Gingrich suggested, such as honoring exporters, the state of Ohio has been doing that for a number of years. Uh, it was kind of an oldies but goodies uh, approach. They brought up Jim Rhodes's name. They brought up Jack Kemp's name. Both those gentlemen uh, were fine public service, but they're both deceased. Mm -hmm. uh, so we really didn't get uh, much of an idea about what specifically John Kasich wants to do. I think more importantly, Newt Gingrich was in town to raise money mm -hmm. for John Kasich, and he is uh, giving Governor Strickland a pretty good chase in the money race. Let me just say that for Newt Gingrich and John Kasich, the tag team reverse Robin Hoods of our time, to be promising to restore Ohio jobs, uh, manufacturing jobs, is the height of hypocrisy. Let's not forget that these two guys spent their time in Congress voting for unfair trade agreements like NAFTA that cost us tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs in this state. And then, for good measure, they voted against job retraining funds for those people who had lost their jobs. As Bill said, how are they going to restore them? We don't have a clue. But we do know from their track records in Congress what they've done before. Well, I think it, a lot of Democrats support NAFTA, I don't NAFTA like to too. use the word nuanced mm -hmm. because it sounds like uh, on the one hand, on the other. But the trade agreements that Dale talks about, I don't know if they're all good or all bad. The Democrats say they're all bad. The Republicans say they're all good. I'm not sure NAFTA counts anymore. All the jobs have gone to China instead of Mexico anyway. So I, I don't know that it's fair to paint Kasich and Gingrich in such broad strokes as Dale would like to. Maybe someone else would. No, I, I, I say, Bill, I get a kick out of Dale saying that in, in one respect. I, I say that, that Newt Gingrich and John Kasich, what they did was support their president, who was Bill Clinton, who wanted it very much. <laughs> so, well, and, you can't have it both ways, Dale. Well, yes, you can, because, because <laughs> you can. Bill, Bill Clinton isn't always right. And on that one, he was wrong, and I think polls have you know, consistently shown that the voters of Ohio feel just that way. Well, what about that, that all was the prosperity after uh, President Clinton was in office after NAFTA was passed? Was that just an aberration? Absolutely not, oh. but, but, it, but it was not due to NAFTA. There, well, there, what was it due to? Well, it was due to the economic plan that consisted of ta tax increases on the very wealthy mm -hmm. in our society and finally getting serious about cutting unnecessary spending. As a matter of fact, I was on a plane 
with John Kasich <coughs> around that time, who, as we know, opposed the Clinton plans. And John Kasich told me, and I'm quoting him directly, he said, if this plan works, meaning the Clinton plan, I will become a Democrat. Well, he hasn't yet, of course, and now he's running on the same old trickle-down stuff that got us into this mess. But you know, Mike, what this does show is these are issues that, you know, they're, they're not going to come down on one partisan side or another. Um, everybody's having trouble m making jobs for this state, and, and uh, it was interesting to me in, in uh, Kasich's comments that he and Mary Taylor seem to be sort of uh, guiding the manufacturing label into a new area. They talked a lot about high tech, which I think um, are being distinguished and have been by Democrats as manufacturing is dying, let's bring in high tech. Well, they're now saying high tech jobs are manufacturing, and so they really weren't saying they were going to revive auto manufacturing or steel making. They were saying they were going to bring high tech jobs. Well, advanced manufacturing, right. computer controlled manufacturing, but that is manufacturing yeah. in the 21st century. But it doesn't have the same number of jobs as we had Fewer. 20, 30 years ago. For the union uh, yeah. uh, it, um, implications. And not only that, but before we leave this subject, let's remember too, Governor Strickland's the one who has been sub very supportive, and some Republicans have too, in fairness, to things like the Third Frontier Initiative. But John Kasich is not among those who has been supportive. As yes, a matter of fact, he supports the Third Frontier Renewal deal. John Kasich, I happen to know, told a, told a business group in Cleveland that he thought it was corporate welfare. And, uh, uh, you know, presumably Kasich believes that the only way we're going to get this economy up and running Which again is through, this? well, I'm not at liberty to go into well. that at this moment, <laughs> but, but, I, but I will talk to you after the program about it. But my point is, is that what Kasich seems to believe is that the way we can get this economy going again and create jobs is to eliminate the state income tax which, as everyone knows, will blow a 45% hole in the budget. It's completely reckless and irresponsible. Isn't that why LeBron James went to Florida, so there'd be no income tax? So maybe it would get jobs. Yeah, uh, LeBron's <laughs> and, yeah. and those of the, uh, the multi-millionaires. I've always, I've always said that LeBron leaving creates an opportunity for two jobs. Two players could be paid what he was making anyway. Um, the budget deficit, the, the looming budget deficit, not the long-term one if the tax plan comes through, but $8 billion over the next year, they have to find room to cut. The Strickland administration has asked department heads, directors to make a plan for a 10% cut in their budget, but neither candidate is really talking much about that, and we don't expect them to. I no, and I don't expect they will. Yeah. It's bad news. No, I mean, they created this this panel in the budget that said, you know, come come to the state house, hold hearings and look at this, and they can't even agree on who to bring in because both sides are saying the other side's being political just in who they choose. I mean, the uh, Democrats are saying you shouldn't bring in the, uh, you've already brought in the budget director, you don't need to bring in the Medicaid director, and then the, the Republicans are saying, well, we want to bring in some people that can talk about the actual whole. So, uh, yeah, it's all very political. Michael, if do voters want candidates to talk specifics? We all hear, we all journalists complain, voters complain, we never hear any specifics. But if, say, Ted Strickland says, okay, yeah, we need a tax increase, it, it's over. I mean, he's going to lose, Republicans are going to run ads against him, and then, then the, no one goes forward. I think that is right. Uh, I, to answer your question, do, do they want to hear things? I, I think they do, but I think they also know they're not. Uh, th this budget problem with, I believe it's still $8 billion, is it, that we're short? Four to eight billion, uh, you know, whatever. Billion to. Uh, it's going to cause a great deal of uh, pain to a, a bunch of unknown groups, people, so forth. I mean, it just has to. 
and uh, pol political people don't want to do that uh, with an election coming up. So I think all the hard decisions will be made regardless of who's governor, but I think they'll be made after uh, November the 2nd. And until then, I think you're going to get a lot of uh, just kind of gobbledygook and, and generalities on both sides okay. uh, because I think the risk is too great. And the point being that we have a budget process that's set up to avoid election years and they inserted it into the election year in this budget and that's somewhat unusual and that's why we never would try to write a budget in an election year. It, it, let me say that I think that Mike is right. I think that no matter <clears throat> how often our uh, friends in the media press the two candidates, neither campaign is going to put out a specific plan before election. They don't want to put a plan out there that can be picked apart by the other guy or that's going to anger blocks of voters. However, happily, there is a fourth, I mean, there is another way to determine how a person's going to go about this. Strickland has a track record. So does Kasich. Strickland has balanced two budgets, let's not forget. With the and help of the federal government. At, well, yes, and, but I also think that it's, f that it's fair to say that he's balanced this while holding the line on taxes through a series of, of hard but responsible choices. I think whatever plan he puts forward is going to be humane, it's going to be moderate, and it's going to be, you know, responsible. I'm not sure you can say the same thing about Kasich. Now, he's never balanced a budget, but when you look at what he proposed when he was in Congress and the things he voted for, it was always to favor Wall Street, favor the wealthy, cut taxes for the rich. You don't give Kasich any credit for the work he did as budget committee chairman because that doesn't deal with appropriations? I mean, what, what, what I am telling you is, is that the last time we had a budget surplus in this country was under Bill Clinton, and John Kasich opposed the Clinton plan that brought about that prosperity. And one reason we had economic success was because of the tax increase that President Clinton championed in 1993. On the wealthy. Governor Strickland voted for, and since then he has never supported a tax increase because that helped him lose the election the next yeah. year. But let's remember who had their taxes raised. It was the top 2% that had the party under the previous Bush administration. So it was on the very, very wealthy. That's a very but different why situation we from what we Strickland have in Ohio. make a tough choice like that again if it cost him his election. I guess if he's a lame duck, he could because yeah. it wouldn't make any difference. I'm not talking about tax increases per se. What I'm saying is, is that Governor Strickland has demonstrated twice already when he's balanced a budget that he's willing to make tough choices, yeah, and he's done it. He had lots of federal stimulus money. I don't think he's going to have that next year. Okay. Let's get to our second topic. Republican congressional candidates in central Ohio had a good spring when it comes to fundraising. Both Congressman Pat T. Berry and candidate Steve Stivers raised more than a half million dollars each in the spring quarter, much more than their Democratic opponents, Paula Brooks and Mary Jo Kilroy, raised. Dale Butlin, Steve Stivers raised double what Mary Jo Kilroy raised in the last quarter. What does that say about that raise? I don't think it says very much at the moment because what the only money figure that really matters is cash on hand. And right now, uh, uh, Stivers has about 1.2 million, Mary Jo has about 900 some thousand. 33,000, yeah. yeah. So the point is, as long as she has enough to get her message out, she will be able to portray Stivers in the way she wishes, wishes as this friend of bankers. Now, by the way. How about enthusiasm, though? Well, okay, wait, wait a second. Yeah. Before we leave that point, I think it's important to point out that on the same day that those money figures were reported, uh, a, 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 that was the uh, also the day that the Wall Street Reform Bill 
uh, passed both the uh, House of Congress, passed the Senate. Mm -hmm. It had already passed the House. Mary Jo was a key figure in negotiating that and getting it through. Stivers opposes it. So I think that in some ways that was a good day for Mary Jo because she'll be able to continue to portray Steve Stivers as the banking lobbyist that he was and uh, and uh, is. But getting to that enthusiasm, if, if one candidate raises double at the other one, you have to assume Mary Jo Kilroy's out trying to raise money as well. What does that say about the enthusiasm that Republicans have well, the enthusiasm gap that I've seen in the polls largely is with the Tea Party wing of the Republican Party. That same Tea Party group is very suspicious of Steve Stivers. As a matter of fact, there are two conservatives running against him, uh, or, running against, or running in that race this fall, that I think may end up taking as many votes, if not more, than the conservatives got than the third party people got the last time. Michael, re local Republicans pretty optimistic from your oh, perspective? Oh, I very optimistic, on yes, this race, I, I do. Race. I, I think they figure that after two years of Mary Jo, the, the people aren't gonna take four. And I think they feel that uh, they're gonna win it. And I think they're gonna win it, they think they're gonna win it with ease. That may not be true, but uh, that's the thought. Um, Democrats nationally, it's James Carville had a great line on ABC this week. He said the Democrats have a three-pronged strategy for winning or keeping the House. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what's going on here locally as well? Well, definitely in the in the Kilroy-Stivers race and down in Cincinnati in the Shabbat-Driehaus race. I mean, those were very, very, very close last time and, and there were some coattail issues that aren't going to be here for these candidates. Um, you know, this huge Democratic turnout and um, uh, momentum and excitement is is gone, basically, and, and there's a lot of cynicism about what's coming out of Washington, or skepticism, I should say, that it's doing any good, and, and voters are getting ready to punish the Democrats, I think. But let me just say, though, there is one group in our society who polls worse than members of Congress and that is big banks and financial institutions. And happily for Mary Jo, she's running against a guy who lobbied for those folks and who represented them. So I'm not sure that that necessarily is gonna translate into big votes for Stivers. Well, he's uh, also uh, running against a guy who was a veteran for Iraq or whatever. He's got a lot of other things. I know Mary Jo wants to eliminate all of that and say the banks, and I imagine, I imagine my guess is Mary Jo's taking contributions from banks too. But the way the society is today and what's been going on, that's what the Democrats will do is all Republicans are with banks, just like all Republicans were friends of Tom Noe and all Republicans ran around with George Bush. And now it's going to be Wall Street. It's just, to me, it's just political stuff. I wish they'd really sit down all of them talking about actual issues instead of trying to painting the other guy in some particular are position. Are you concerned, though, that the Republicans, all they've done is say no, 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 no to health care, no to stimulus, no to banking reform. If there's a slight uptick in the economy uh, by September, uh, perhaps that's not going to help candidates like Stivers and Shabbat, who really haven't posed anything uh, positive. Well, I agree with that, Bill. I, I wish the Republicans, too, would come out and say some things. I, I understand about what Dale just said, and I agree with, or what we, we I guess we both said, about not uh, the Republicans and the Democrats or Kasich and Strickland not saying anything about the budget and so forth because it's, it's too big of a risk. I, I know that. But in my uh, in my heart, I wish I wish they would. You know, I wish we had things where, where where people who run for office 
were called to say, how are you going to do this? No generalities accepted, and, and, and let's go on with it. I guess that's naive of me, but I'd like to see it. But isn't it true, though, that in fact they have been saying, I mean, just yesterday, uh, we're being taped, we're taping here on Friday. Friday yeah. Yesterday, John Boehner, the leader in the House and one of the leaders in the Senate, both came out and said that they felt that the old Bush tax cuts that overwhelmingly favor the rich should be uh, which and which are now expiring this year should be extended in perpetuity. So let's get this straight. $30 billion to extend unemployment benefits is too much because that's going to add to the deficit, but we can afford $650 billion as long as it goes to wealthy folks. That's the problem and that's why they're not saying anything because once they say what they actually believe, it's not real good for them. Yeah, but I think, Dale, let's face it, are, are they doing the ta tax cuts for the reasons you say to help the wealthy folks? I don't think that's the that's the basis of this thing. They're thinking this is going to help the economy and help everyone. All we it's know, it's not done. Just we're going to we're going to sit here and just help the wealthy. Let's get on to another aspect <laughs> of this race. We all know that in the race for Supreme Court, Chief Justice Eric Brown is the Democrat and Maureen O'Connor is the Republican. But Brown and O'Connor themselves have not been allowed to tell voters themselves which party they represent. That could change. A federal appeals court has struck down Kentucky's restrictions on partisan activities in judicial races. Judges in Kentucky can now tout their party affiliations and personally ask for campaign donations. Conceivably, this decision could affect Ohio's very similar law. Mike Miller, what's wrong with these two judicial candidates saying what party they belong to, what party well, they represent? You know, Mike, I'm not saying, I'm not sure there's anything wrong with it, and I think the Sixth Circuit's decision is going definitely to affect Ohio. Um, there's been this theory that judicial uh, candidates for judicial office are a little different. We don't want to kind of soil them by going out, as we're seeing in all the elections we've been talking about, yeah. and promising this and promising that when they're supposed to be sitting there independently. Now, I know, as we all know, that that's kind of a pipe dream. And uh, maybe they can't tout their party, but I, uh, when I was running for office, the only people that came to the Republican functions were the Republican judges, just like I'm sure the only ones that came to the Democrat functions were Democrat judges for yeah. those particular offices. Everybody knows what the party is. They don't let them raise money, and yet you, they can work with their campaign person. It seems to me it's, it's really sort of a, uh, I, I don't know, sort of a facade, really. Yeah. I but don't I, think the voters know who's Republican and who's Democrat. Or that, if they that, did, I don't think Maureen O'Connor would have gotten more votes than anybody else in Ohio. Well, I think that's right, because on the ballot, they don't have D and yeah, they don't right. have R. Is that who this is aimed at, the sort of voter who goes into the booth and says, I'm going to vote straight Democrat or I'm going to vote straight Republican? Well, and then the judges lose out on those votes if they don't know which party they belong to. Right, and I think it, it is that. It is sort of that voter right there in the voting booth. You know, even some people who, who think they know who the candidates are take cheat sheets into the voting booth and that kind of thing. But I also think that this sort of uh, partisan rancor that you hear in these other races, it, there's an argument to be made that it isn't befitting of, you know, the whole judicial branch and the fact that this would really harm people's view of the, that the courts can be unbiased and, and make decisions based on the law. But so. there's a fundamental problem. As long as we elect judges, which we do in Ohio and which the voters have maintained on a number of occasions they want to continue doing, then you've got to let voters get information that they need to cast an intelligent ballot. Right now, the only thing that they know about a judge is they'll know something about his or her biographical background, where they went to school, what jobs they held, what the name of their spouses are and their children, and some, uh, but you know, banal blandishments about, oh, I'll be tough but fair, whatever that means. 
I'm not, I'm not saying we should get into the, to, to, to the rough and tumble of the other campaigns, but what's wrong with letting the judge talk about his or her ideological convictions, their worldview, that kind of gives voters an idea as to what kinds of sentiments they're going to bring to the bench. It seems to me that that's a reasonable thing to do in a culture where we elect judges. Okay, let's get to our next topic. It'll cost about $1.6 billion, takes 16 years to complete, but when it's finished, we will hopefully have a safer, maybe more attractive I-7071 split. But like many highway projects, this is controversial. Mass transit supporters question the huge price tag. Neighbors in Old Town East and German Village say plans do not do enough to connect them to the rest of downtown. Julie Carr Smythe, it's always the balance. We want this pretty highway, but that costs money. Yeah. There's just not enough money to go around all the time. Right, and I think that, um, you know, you can make a decent argument so far in Columbus with the, say, the cap over, over in uh, Short North that has brought a lot of uh, foot traffic in and out of downtown and that has, you know, really connected that area. If that could do, if this one could do that, you know, I think there is an economic development argument for it, but I mean, there is, uh, most folks, especially in the current economy, might say, we don't need this, the bells and whistles. We need, you know, highways that get us places and that are efficient. Can the, uh, the short north was a natural spot because it was already commerce there. On the south side of downtown, you know, as you head down High Street to German Village, it's the courthouse on the, on the north side, but in German Village on the south side. So there's less of a economic backbone there to push for a cap, I'm guessing. Yeah, there aren't natural places. I've always sort of complained that, you know, within our downtown, so many of these areas could more easily be connected, say, through CODA. I've probably brought that up on this program before, but, you know, a loop downtown that was free at lunchtime that would take you to the art gallery cafe or the, or the main library or something, you know, and we aren't, we don't do a great job here at getting the downtown businesses. I mean, we see this now with City Center being gone, that, you know, we are not connecting the state workforce and the, the Capitol Square to other interesting areas. And, you know, I don't know that there's any interest over there, but it has to start somewhere, right? Should we, should we be spending nearly $2 billion on this when we have other, you want to increase mass transit or light rail or 3C or things like that? Is this a wise investment? I don't know whether spending $1.7 billion is a good idea or whether we can do it for less than that. I'll leave that to the experts. But I do think this whole issue brings into sharp relief the problem that all of us have with this recession and the resulting budgetary problems that uh, are occurring at all governmental levels, state, federal, local. Um, and I think we're all going to have to think about what it is we, that we really want, what things can we do without. Do we want less fire protection and police protection? Do we want fewer libraries? Do we want less ambitious highway projects? I mean, those are all things we all have to think about and recognize we simply don't have the money to do everything we want. We're gonna get to our last topic. It's a plan that brims with irony. The city and county and Columbus Blue Jackets are trying to figure out a way to help the hockey team with its expensive nationwide arena lease. A possible solution is for the county to buy the arena and lease it back to the Blue Jackets at a much lower cost. Now, how do you buy that arena without raising taxes? And that's where the irony comes in, possibly. Business First reports that Columbus officials are seriously looking at using casino tax money. You know that same casino the arena district didn't want and cast off to the west side could be the savior of the arena's district's first tenant. Bill Hershey? You can't write this stuff. No, this you couldn't make this up. I mean, these are the people who uh, 
wanted family entertainment in the arena district, mainly so they could have uh, apartments for the rich who didn't have to uh, see a casino out their front window. So it looks like they want the good old west side to bail them out with the money they spend in the uh, uh, casinos. Uh, and this is the way I think they want to have it done because there's yeah. no be no vote uh, and the money would just be there. Shouldn't that tax money that comes to the casino go to the west side that's going to host it or the city in general just to the if this plan comes to fruition just to the arena deal? Well I mean it's uh, I don't know what it should do but mm. it's uh, I think in the constitutional amendment that city can and county can use it any yep. way they want to right so um, if they view the arena district as a as a worthy investment, um, then you know maybe that makes some sense. It is very ironic that you know this could have been right there, and all the activity associated with it would have been a walking distance from from, from the Blue Jackets. Okay. We have to point out also that the Blue Jackets have never really taken a stand on this casino issue, so they're kind of just all watching this go on. And of course, their radio network their radio network is brought to us by the casino in Wheeling, West Virginia. So they don't mind casino money. <laughs> Time now for our off the record pi uh, parting shots. Uh, Michael Miller, up first. Well, I think what we discussed earlier on the, uh, the judicial things, uh, due to the, uh, the death of uh, Tom Moyer, unfortunately, here recently, and, and this very, this decision out of the Sixth Circuit, I, I think you're going to see in the near uh, future, a year or so, uh, people from the Republican and the Democrat Party Bar associations and so forth get together and try and get on the ballot once again. This concept of let's let's stop all this nastiness. Let's let's appoint our judges and and try and figure out a way they can do that and uh, uh, and get it on the ballot. And I think it'll have an excellent chance of passing. Dale, John Kasich's woes with the conservative uh, base uh, continue. In addition to losing the endorsements of two prominent gun rights groups, the most prominent of which was the National Rifle Association recently. I, my sources tell me that John Kasich has declined to screen with the FOP, the Fraternal Order Police. Julie. Well, my prediction is just going to be based on the numbers we saw this week in the fundraising reports that Ohioans aren't going to have much time for recreational TV this fall. And Bill. Well, there's plenty of pushing and shoving already in the governor's race, but the best analysis I heard this week came from Chris Alfano of Kettering, a Dayton suburb. He did a demonstration of advanced manufacturing for John Kasich and Newt Gingrich when they were in uh, Dayton campaigning, but he wasn't starstruck by Kasich. He's not starstruck by Strickland. He said, I usually make my up my mind in September. All right. <laughs> That'll do it. That's Columbus on the Record for this week. Thanks to our panel. Thanks to our crew. Check us out on our website, wsu.org slash COTR. I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.